Good morning. It's wonderful to have you all here. It's Sunday, November the 29th, the first Sunday of Advent. I can't believe it's already the first Sunday of Advent. This is also one year that I've been standing in this pulpit. Sorry, y'all. <laughs> um, couple of announcements. Today is the last day to get your poinsettia orders in. Um, if you put them in today, uh, aye, aye, aye. Don will make sure that it, information gets to Becky, uh, who's handling all of that. Um, if, so yeah, just get them in today. If you're at home and you want poinsettias, uh, email the church today or tomorrow, I'll make sure that information also gets on to Becky as well. Um, but they are buying them tomorrow, so tomorrow's the absolute deadline for orders to come in. We are going to play some Advent music at the very end of worship. There are red hymnals in the back if you need one, because I know some of the songs are not in the blue. You are welcome to stay and sing if you would like. Um, so if you'd like to hang out and sing, Feel free to hang out and sing. Are there any other announcements? All right. So if you noticed, our new back tables are a lot cleaner looking because a lot of the, the literature, uh, places for uh, Acme receipts and such were moved over onto another shelf um, behind the right-hand side, which I guess is for you, all of you, the left-hand side pews. Um, just trying to, well, show off these beautiful new tables a little more and let the wood shine. Bible study continues on Tuesday night. It's been exciting. We're moving into the Minor Prophets, which is a lot of fun for me. I hope it's fun for those who are joining. Um, if you'd like to join, it's Tuesday night. O meeting opens at 6. The actual study starts at 7, and we are working in the, um, the book of Hosea. We're just starting on the second chapter this week. have a, a few prayer concerns. Um, Keep in, in your hearts this week, um, the Klein family, the two sons both have COVID right now. Um, no. um, so continue keeping them in your prayers. Uh, Dwayne is going in for knee surgery this coming Friday. Um, he goes in for his COVID test tomorrow, and we pray that that goes well so that he's able to get in and have his surgery. Our sister Sandra is having surgery tomorrow to remove a large kidney stone. She loves all the cards and the calls, so keep them up. Um, and Renee's brother-in-law brother was just diagnosed with bladder cancer and has an upcoming surgery at the end of the year. But a note of celebration, Mary Ann and Howard Ludwig celebrate their 66th anniversary today. 
So congratulations, Marianne and Howard. I don't know if you're watching right now or if you'll catch us later. And I forgot to put this out on the uh, announcements and whatnot. I just remember this, but I try to remember to get this out this week. Uh, if you are watching from home and have any difficulties, grab your, your blue book the, with all the addresses and everything in it and give Don a text. Or you can also write in the comment bar and she'll see it back there. So that let us know if you're having problems at home watching. Are there any other prayers or joys you would like to raise today? Our prayers are with you, Cecil. I, I know this is a lot going on with right now, but at the same time, congratulations that you were able to spend 63 years with her. Oh, Ron. It is a joy, and it's a joy to have you with us as well, Ron. <laughs> we have a tradition of lighting the Advent candles as we come into this season, one for every Sunday, and usually we've, we've done it different ways, having people come up, having different special times, and of course we need to do it a little different this year, and I'm going to be asking folks to come up and share something each week but I'm going to take the first one myself. We light the candle of hope today. We hope in new life. We hope for change. It's exciting. You know, watching the first buds of seeds as they push out through the dirt, or the wobbly steps of a fawn, or that first cry of a baby. We hope for something in the future. We can sometimes predict. I can tell you how that acorn will probably look in 20 years. I can guess the shape of the tree. I can make some guesses about the shape of my daughter and what she'll look like in another 10, 15 years. But at the same time, the future is unknowable. And so I have hope. I have hope for a brighter tomorrow. Live future is a mystery. And so as we enter the Advent season, while we know what's coming, we don't know what shape it will come in. And so we have hope. Hope for a brighter day tomorrow. Will you join us as we enter this time of worship? as we listen to the music and pray.
you'll pray with me. God, we are here preparing for your birth. We come here hoping for new life, new life in our own selves, new life in the world, and new life in the manger. We thank you that we are still able to meet here to celebrate that. We lift up our brothers and sisters in need of presence and healing this week. We lift up Jake and Russell. We lift up George. We lift up those who are preparing to undergo surgery. We pray that the surgeon's hands are steady, that pain will be relieved, that bodies will heal. We lift up Dwayne and Sandra. We lift up presence and joy. We thank God for those people who come into our lives, for the years that we spend together. We thank you for anniversaries. We thank you for every moment we get to spend with those people. God, as we come out of this fall season and enter Advent, we enter Christmas. We thank you and pray that we will be filled with your spirit in these days. Amen. 1 Corinthians 1, 3 through 9. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given you in Christ Jesus. For in every way you have been enriched in him, in speech and in knowledge of every kind, just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he will also strengthen you to the end so that you may be blameless on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By him you were called into fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. When I think hope, I think of faith. And it's probably because of that Hebrews passage in 11.1, which reads, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. I remember as a child, my parents got me this Cassette tape, that's how old I am, cassette tape, so not that old, but old enough. And it was in this era where rap music was becoming popular, and so people were trying to find ways to connect to young people by doing rap music with Christian lyrics. And I just remember that because there was a, a one by this rapping rabbit, I don't remember much beyond that, where the chief line of that song was this verse over and over again. I don't remember much else about it, but it's been pounded into my memory quite deep. It seems that 
You can have hope without faith, though. You need hope to get to faith, but you don't always have faith with hope. Sorry, Roger, I'm going to talk about cooking. Because, <laughs> of course, like, it's, it's how I think about things often. And I think of hope a lot when it comes to cooking and not faith, because I like to try new things when I cook. And in those things, I have a lot of hope, but not a lot of faith in myself in doing them. Like, I smoked a turkey for Thanksgiving. I have never smoked a turkey in my life. I have smoked one thing, and it was a set of ribs. But they're completely different. <laughs> I mean, ribs versus a turkey. I mean, a turkey's a huge piece of meat to smoke. So you do all the things. You read through the recipes. You watch the videos. I consulted The Art of Cooking, which is my, well, it's my Bible for cooking. I go to it anytime I have questions when it comes to cooking. But I lack confidence in my ability. Therefore, I only have hope. I only have hope until I finally take the turkey out, allow it to cool, and cut into it and see if it came out right. Which, thank you, it did. <laughs> I didn't waste, you know, eight hours of work on it. But it feels like hope is something less than. Like hope's not as important. Hope is something you have in mundane life things, as opposed to faith. So, okay, I wanted to look into this. Maybe, maybe hope is less important in the Bible. Maybe it's that way. So, so I pulled out this tool called a concordance. And a concordance is just somebody opened up the Bible and said, okay, the opening line is in the beginning. So I'm going to go through the Bible and count every single time the word in is used. And then the, and then beginning, and so on and so forth. And that's what a concordance is. It's a counting of all the words, and then you can kind of find where they're used. So I did that with hope. Mind you, I'm doing this with NIV. So that means that it's according to the NIV translation, which means there's some variation. Hope appears about 132 times, give or take, throughout the Old and New Testament combined. Faith, on the other hand, comes nearly 300 times. It's a lot more often. Okay, well, where does hope appear? Well, Paul likes to use hope. It appears a lot in the, in the letters. And it appears primarily in the Old Testament in Psalms, Proverbs, and Job. Jesus doesn't use the word hope much. The NRSV actually says it's used three times in the New Testament, but the NIV actually only uses the word hope once. It's Matthew 12, 21. In his name, the nations will put their hope. Great, that means the only time that the word hope is used in the, Old in the, in the Gospels is when they're quoting Old Testament. Even today's reading he uses the word faith and not hope. But I just don't think we can have faith without hope. Hope's essential to who we are. We need it to survive. It comes when there isn't room for faith. Because sometimes it's that way. There, there's a story. And I say this is actually a story. It's a legend because it's based in fact, but actually we know exactly when he 
published this song. It was before the story happened, so it's not exactly connected, but I think it still fits. It's about a man named Paul Gerhardt. You've probably never heard of him, but he was a, a Lutheran pastor in Berlin during the 1600s. He lived during the Thirty Years' War. Now, the Thirty Years' War is often called one of the religion wars because it happened because the Lutherans were fighting the Reformed, and the Reformed were fighting the Catholics, and the Catholics were fighting, I mean, everyone fought each other. It was not an easy time to be alive. And though while religion was often kind of used as the overall way we paint this conflict, more often than not, it was really about economics, authority, and territory. But there was another kind of battle going on within each of these territories as this happened, because for the first time, there was a difference between church and state. I mean, since Constantine, it pretty much had been the same thing. The rulers had a say in who preached in the pulpits. And those who preached in the pulpits and the bishops and whatnot, they had a say in who were the rulers. And you often had people appointed by both sides working in the other side. There really wasn't a difference between the two. But for the first time, there's multiple churches. First time in a thousand years, there's multiple churches. And so they had to kind of figure out what this would mean some places just said, look, you live here, you're Catholic, or you live here, you're Lutheran, and that's it. But some tried to be a little more open, and one of those was Prince Elector Frederick William of Brandenburg. He ruled over a large territory, which included the city of Berlin, where Gerhardt lived. Prince Elector Frederick wanted to encourage interfaith dialogue because he allowed the Reformed and the Lutherans to both worship there. So he brought Reformed and Lutherans together and encouraged them to talk and work out things together. But it didn't always work out well, and part of the issue was, frankly, Prince William, uh, French Frederick himself. He was a Calvinist, a very staunch Calvinist, which is a Reformed tradition. And while he may have spoken about equality and cooperation, he continued to do things the way that his forefathers had done, which meant that he was putting people in pulpits, and he was appointing ministers in positions of power in his government. And he continued to appoint those who were in line with what he believed. So this meant that while he was speaking about cooperation and equality, he was raising the Reformed tradition over the Lutheran tradition. Gerhardt, of course, didn't like this, he was well-respected by both sides, and he was a celebrated writer of hymns. In fact, he's probably the most celebrated hymn writer from Germany ever. And while he may have been loved and respected by people on both sides of the aisle, there were still quite a few people in the Reformed tradition who did not care for him, and they saw him as a threat. So when the prince elector finally got tired of waiting for the churches to come together and work together better, he decided, you know what, I'm just going to make the Lutherans more like the Reformed, and he attempted to force them to do that. And those who did not care for Gerhard used this opportunity to chase him out of the city. So Gerhard flee, flew, uh, fled the city for his life. 
the story tells us that he spent the evening in a small inn somewhere in Saxony. He was hiding there with his wife and their young child. His wife was distraught. They had just enough money for tonight. They didn't know what would happen tomorrow. He sat there holding her, reminding her, God is good, God is with us. We just have to have faith. God stands by those who have faith. She finally calmed down and fell asleep, laying there next to their young child. Gerhardt excused himself quietly out of the room, went down the stairs and out into the dark garden where he found a bench in the corner where no one could see him. And he broke down crying. He had reached rock bottom. He had spent all night telling his wife, just have faith, God's with us. And he himself had little to none left. He had hope for a brighter day, but it's hard to have faith that it was coming. Now gradually his tears came to an end and he felt the spirit stirring in him. He realized that God had not left him abandoned, that there was hope in him. And where there's hope, there's a chance for faith. And God would see him through this trial. To finish his story, the next few years would actually be really hard for Gerhardt. He would lose friends and supporters. He'd have to choose his faith over comfort and safety and he would eventually become a widower and an only father, or a single father. But eventually his faith would lead him back to God and back to a place. He eventually actually became a minister in a cathedral, the head minister. And he continued to write hymns. Now, five of those hymns are actually in our Bible. If you wanted to look them up, you just go to the back and look up Gerhardt. But 561 is the one that is connected with this story. He actually published it before. But I have to think that he sat there and remembered the words that he wrote. I'm going to be reading from the original version, which is eight verses. We have four in our Bible, so it's a little different. He wrote, Give to the winds your fears. Have hope. Be undismayed. God hears your sighs and counts your tears. God shall lift up your head. Through waves and clouds and storms, he gently clears the way. Wait for his time. So shall this night soon end in joyous day. Still heavy is your heart. Still your spirit sinks down. Cast off the way. Let fear depart and every care be gone. What, though you do not rule, so even yet heaven and earth and hell proclaim that God sits on the throne and rules all things well. God is with us in the darkness when the world is falling down around our ears. Hey. As I started out, you know, talking about that concordance that tells us something about when those words mean the most. Hope appears in the Psalms, 
when people are crying out to God. It appears in the Proverbs, reminding us to walk in the ways of God no matter what happens. And most notably, it appears a lot in the book of Job. We all know the story of Job, the man who has everything and then loses it and is left there sitting on a pile of manure, destitute and alone. He's like Gerhardt, trying to put on a brave face. But frankly, there's just a little bit of hope there left, and that's it. We hope in things unseen. The unseen sunrise on the other side of the horizon. That's hope. That's a hope of, human, of being human. Faith is just that next step beyond. Self-assurance that our hopes have a basis in reality. That our hopes have a base in God. But faith's difficult to hold on to all the time. We can find it smacked down again and again. It's usually our fault it gets smacked down, <laughs> to be honest. We put it in the wrong place, in the wrong people. Or we have it centered on our wishes and not what God wishes of us. Or it's simply because we wish for things, we have hopes in things that don't really see the full picture of God's plan. We talk of hope in this day, of Advent. The first one is hope. And I think the biggest reason that makes the most sense to me is because we need hope when it doesn't feel like it's coming. Things are coming right. I mean, just consider the Jews as they're coming into a time of Advent. I mean, they, of course, weren't celebrating Advent or anything like that. But what, was, what were they looking for in those days? They had hope. That's all they had at that point. They had once been a large, powerful, wealthy, <laughs> respected people. But 10 of the 12 tribes were mostly destroyed. And those who had been left of the 10 were now just the Samaritans. They were fallen. The last two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, had been conquered. Their temple had been destroyed. The Ark of the Covenant was gone. Sure, they had risen up again. They had returned home from the exile. They had rebuilt the temple. And then they were conquered again. And they found themselves living under a Macedonian general who tried his best to erase Judaism and replace it with his Greek culture. So they called on help. They said, Romans, come help us. Yeah, they invited the Romans in. That worked out well for a little bit. But now they found themselves being ruled by corrupt and cruel Roman and Jewish peoples. Those who saw their land not as a place of home for these people, not as a sacred space, but rather as somewhere where they could make a few denarii. The Jews continued to rise up. They called them freedom fighters or zealots. 
the, Jew, the Romans and the Jewish rulers called them bandits and would put down their insurrections and impose an even more oppressive rule. Life was pretty grim. Where, Isaiah? Where is the one that you said a voice would call out, make way, make the path straight? Where, Jeremiah, where is that righteous branch of Judah that would come and sit on David's throne? Hosea, Amos, Joel, you told us the Lord, the day of the Lord would come when all nations would be judged and the world remade in your own image. We have waited. We have languished. We have been oppressed longer than our ancestors who lived in Egypt, longer than those who wandered the wilderness, longer than those who were taken captive to Babylon. Come, God, free us. They may not have had a lot of hope right then, a lot of faith right then, but they had hope. They still had hope that God would come in and change things, make them the better, just as Job did, just like Gerhardt did, a little bit of hope. I know it's sometimes hard. You know, the, I, I chose the reading for today early in the week, but by the time I wrote my sermon, it really went in a different direction. That happens sometimes. But going back as I finished my sermon and going, wow, did I ever really dig into this? I just feel guilty. Paul does that a lot to me. Paul makes me feel guilty. Paul goes through incredible hardship in his life. He's put in jail. He's chained up. He's bitten by snakes. He's beaten. And yet he always has unshakable faith. I want to be Paul. He, does go, he goes beyond hope. He has faith all the time. I don't know if that's just the way Paul writes, that maybe there were those quiet times as he sat in the jail cell where maybe he had a little less. On the other hand, reading a lot of Paul, you know he's a pretty self-assured person and that his faith is pretty deep. He may have always been that faithful. I know I falter. I know I'm not always quite as good. There are days where I really struggle to hold on to faith, but I always have hope. I always have hope that God is going to make things better. I guess my faith is missing less in God and maybe more so in the world. Because some days it feels like someone just opened up Pandora's box again. And all those things, disease, pain, greed, hate, war, come spilling out. But just like the story of Pandora's box, hope remains. Sometimes you just got to grasp it and hold on to it and go, I know this is a hard time, but I still have hope in God. And as I grasp on to this hope, I know that I'll be able to believe again. We're coming into Advent. We start with hope, because hope's always there. 
We always have hope for a brighter day. Eventually, we get to faith. For some of us, faith is still there all the time. But we have to start with hope for some people as well. Hope that there will be a brighter day. A hope that we are able to believe in it at all times. A hope that Jesus will return. Eventually, we get to believe that too. And that's when we get to faith. But for now, whatever is going on in this world, I pray that you are able to grasp hope and know that there's a sunrise on the other side of the horizon. I didn't mean this to be such a downer because it feels like that to me. I hope it didn't come out that way to you. Because it is also Advent. It's almost Christmas. Our Lord and Savior will soon be born in the manger. That gives me hope that despite whatever happens in this world, that things will get better. There's a little baby that'll turn things around. It gives me hope that Jesus will return. That Hosea and Amos and Joel and all those others, when they talk about the day of the Lord coming, that maybe it's a little closer. For now, I'll just keep looking at that little baby in the manger and having hope that tomorrow will be a little better than today. And maybe one day, I fully believe it. I do for the most part. Amen.